your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Mills now in the backfield. Two wideouts to the near side. Stole the tight end in motion. Turn. Fake the handoff. Adrian keeps it himself. Coming to the near side. Adrian to the five. Adrian Martinez in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Adrian Martinez finds the end zone from 10 yards out. Oh, baby. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And good evening. Welcome. We're honored to have you with us here tonight. Thank you so much for spending some of your Monday night with Greg and Ben. We got a game to recap. Huskers finally opened the 2020 season on Saturday. Getting beat by the Ohio State Buckeyes, 52-17, a game where Nebraska really went toe-to-toe for Darn near the entire first half, the last three minutes of the first half is where this one really flipped that in the opening drive of the second half. But there was a lot in there that we'll get to tonight. We certainly want your thoughts, uh, what you you witnessed, what what was your takeaway from the game. Our phone number is 531-500-4686 to dial us up with a comment or question or fire off a text on our U.S. cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. It was a great start for Nebraska. You heard the highlight in the open. Nebraska took the opening kickoff four plays later, 75 yards later. They were in the end zone to take a 7-0 lead. They had the lead until about the eight-minute mark of the first quarter. Then they fell behind 14-7, got it tied, got a stop in, in the red zone, forcing a field goal for Ohio State to put them up 17-14, with just 312 left to go in the half. And at that point, Ben, you're thinking, worst case scenario, we're down three at the half. Go get drive it down, get a field goal, get it tied, drive it down, get a touchdown. Maybe you have the lead at the half. But a three and out, followed by a nice short drive for Ohio State, and by golly, then they had a ten point lead at the half. I thought that was where the game flipped on Nebraska, and then the Buckeyes got the, the ball to start the second half and went down to score again. And at that point, you knew you were just playing for respectability. But there were certainly, I thought, some pretty good things in this game. This was not a mismatch like last year's game in Lincoln was. Physically, I thought Nebraska held up pretty darn well along the line of scrimmages, both offense and defensively. That was not the case a year ago. And I just I thought – you take away the two turnovers that Nebraska put on the deck, with one of those being returned for a, a defensive score for Ohio State, and, and this thing was much, much tighter than the, the the game in 19 in Lincoln between Nebraska and Ohio State. And I know you've been chomping at the bit all day to throw out some of your thoughts about this one. Yeah, I mean, I I guess for me the, the first place where I start is, you know, there there are a lot of people out there today that, have their typical Nebraska lost uh, attitude and mentality to this game. Uh, and they're, they're kind of laughing at people that are taking so many positives from the game because it ended up being 52-17. I get it. You're not happy with the score. Um, and ultimately, that's what matters. But I think you do have to look at, at the game a bit further to notice the the difference between last year and this year. I really wish... I was down on the sideline for this game in particular, just based on how it went, uh, to truly see the difference physically between Ohio State, Nebraska this year compared to Ohio State, Nebraska last year. I think, um, you know, I have the 10,000 foot view now, the same view as, as most everybody else, but last year it was hard to watch almost. Uh, the battle up front, the precision in which Ohio State's offense moved the perfection to which Justin Fields ran that offense and he was pretty dang close to perfect on Saturday too but you take that physical dominance away and it makes him and everybody else look more human Um, so I think how we got to the 52-17 score is important I, I think that is worth talking about and I do think how everything started to turn was on that drive that you talked about Jeremiah Searles and I talked about this in the fourth and the fifth quarter show that 
Yes, it would have been awesome. First of all, it was great that Nebraska held them to a field goal right there. And I don't think um, the play itself that allowed the field goal to get to where it was is being talked about enough. Keep in mind, Ohio State picked up that first down by an inch. And Nebraska was an inch away from holding them on on fourth down, declining that penalty and taking over with the game still tied 14-14. It was a great move by Scott Frost to call for a measurement there because – the spot, which it looked like Ohio State got a little bit of a help with, with the spot there at you know before the chains came out, uh, would have would have negated the field goal attempt, and Nebraska would have taken over fourteen fourteen. However, the the situation would have been similar whenever Nebraska took over the ball, and what they really needed to do, and, and yes, it would have been awesome to get seven, it would have been great to get three, but I think you would even you would even have taken moving the ball 20, 30 yards down the field in five or six plays, and maybe maybe you score, maybe you don't, maybe you punt the ball back, but get to halftime down three. I mean, if you're down by just one possession at halftime, Ohio State, you had to anticipate, was going to put some things together and probably go score to start the third quarter. Then it's only a 10-point game, and you get the ball back, and, and you get a chance to go score again and make it a one-score game. You know, instead what happens is they go score. Uh, that's, you know, 17 unanswered points. And then the, the big the big turn of the, the entire game that was kind of the, the dagger in the heart was the Adrian Martinez fumble and the scoop and score. That That's really where things started to get out of control score-wise. And, and then, of course, the, the controversial ending where Ryan Day has his backups in and sticks one more in the end zone and I don't know that we're going to spend a ton of time on this today we, maybe some maybe we get asked about it maybe we don't um did I think it was cheap yeah did I think Ryan Day knew exactly what he was doing totally I totally think this was premeditated by Ryan Day to tell everybody that you didn't have the personnel on the field to take a knee I mean 30 30 plus seconds ran off the clock Greg between that third down play and the next play you had plenty of time to get new personnel in there to take a knee. To take a knee is, doesn't require uh, a significant thought process on who you get out there to take a knee. He totally knew what he was doing. Here's the deal. Ohio State only plays two ranked teams this year. So they really need to impress the committee every single time they touch the field to be in that conversation if everybody else is undefeated because of how late of a start the Big Ten got. I understand that. And, and Ohio State – just pushed it in the end zone. The 52 looks a heck of a lot better than 45. Getting that 50, 50 mark is a huge feather in the cap. So Ryan Day knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to apologize later for it, and, and hopefully you know everything be okay. That being said, Scott Frost is right. You know Nebraska has to stop him, and, and that's that's what a lot of people are saying is you know you don't like it, stop it. BYU faked a pun up 35 points this weekend. So I I, I think that. I do, I do agree that it's on Nebraska to stop them, but I also think you're, you're fooling yourself if Ryan Day, it was a personnel issue of taking a knee. It was, it was totally premeditated, and yeah. he knew exactly what he was doing. Anyway, I digress. Um, I did think that this game really spiraled in starting after that one drive uh, with, with three minutes left in the first half. And then, you know, the big thing that we're taking away from this yet again, Greg, and, and this is kind of where I have mixed emotions. So this, this is my overarching feeling with the game. Nebraska looked good physically. They matched up. I think they're improved. I like what I saw with the wrinkles offensively. Am I worried that Nebraska didn't push the ball downfield? That's a pretty big narrative right now. A little bit, but I also think the game plan didn't lend itself to that. I think Nebraska knew that they'd have success with – higher percentage plays, running plays, quicker pass plays, and they did. They had great success when they weren't holding, when they weren't fumbling snaps, when they weren't doing the things that put themselves behind the sticks uh, and turning the ball over. That offense was working. The scheme worked. The game plan was working. So there wasn't a huge need to chuck the ball down the field, in which we think is Ohio State's one of their strengths of their team is their good secondary, particularly Sean Wade. So I need to see a few more games before I just, you know, exclamate that Nebraska can't throw the ball down the field. Um, I, I do think part of that was what, what Ohio state was trying to do. There are a lot of positive stake from the game, but until this team shows me that they can stop shooting themselves in the foot and make losing football plays, 
you have to assume that it's probably going to happen again. Maybe not against Wisconsin, but probably at some point this season, they have got to find, and Scott Frost said this in his presser today, you have got to find a way to get out of your own way. Um, you know, you've just you got to stop doing it. The, the targeting penalties, you can't do it. I, I, I'm, I'm talking particularly the Cam Taylor-Britt one. Um, you know, you, the holding penalties, getting behind the sticks, fumbling snaps, putting the ball in the deck, scooping scores. Um, all those things have to stop. And, and you can't do them against really good teams because they're going to bury you. And that's exactly what happened. There, I thought there were a few things in the game that weren't necessarily Nebraska's fault that they just they just couldn't catch a break. Justin Fields' knee was down on a play, and they end up scoring on the next play. On the fourth down play, on the slant, Casey Rogers gets a hand on the ball and deflects it, and it still wobbles into the hands of Garrett Wilson. You know, there were just little things that happened that yep. weren't necessarily the fault of Nebraska that didn't, didn't go their way that ended up benefiting Ohio State. But we got to find a way to stop shooting ourselves in the foot, and I don't know how you do it because it seems to be something new every week. Yeah, I didn't catch the deflected pass. I went back and watched the first half this morning. And you're right. That was a fourth and five play on the first drive uh, of the game for Ohio State. But earlier on that very same drive, one play earlier, Ohio State was faced with third and 16. Field scrambled for 11, set him up with fourth and five. Even with getting the ball deflected, Nebraska couldn't get off the field. That has to change with this defense. Too many times... You've got teams off script, behind the chains, as they say in football terminology. You've you got to close that drive out and make them punt or kick. And, and I'm thinking of another time in the second half, Nebraska just got a field goal. Yeah, it's still 38-17. But you pin them deep in their own end, and they're and you darn near get a safety. Uh, and then you've got third and 14. They run a simple zone read for 16 yards out of deep in their own end and keep the drive alive. And on the, at the very end of the play, Cam Tater-Britt gets flagged for targeting. He's out of the game. So you lose Cam Tater-Britt. You don't stop them on third and 14 at their own six when you're probably going to get the football back at midfield. Down 38-17, I get it, but a chance to cut, cut into their lead and keep some momentum on your side late third quarter. That has to change. This defense got, has got to figure out a way. Eric Chenander has to figure out a way how to stop teams on these third and longs. And then too often that happens. You're right. And then offensively, man, the second drive of the game, and we were bragging about we thought that this would be taken care of, Ben, last week about wide receivers lining upright, not doing the wrong thing. Don't hurt us. We had third, second and one after a nine-yard pass play to Wandale uh, at the 35 after a 7-7 tie, and, and Wyatt Lee jumps off sides. And so now you have second and six. You don't end up getting the first down on that set of downs. You have to punt the ball back to them, and then they have the lead. Those are the things that you're right. that This team still hasn't gotten over the top of that to uh, – to start playing winning football. On our text line, Ben, a question. Thought I would see more of Diedrich Mills, only nine carries. Were you surprised that we didn't see more of Mills in game one? A little bit. Um, I think I do think that there was definitely an emphasis to get, um, you know, a guy like uh, Luke the ball a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, nine carries. Um a little bit surprised, but I, I I also am curious to know from the coaches, you know, if if the scheme was maybe try and run more outside than than in between the tackles, which in which case I don't know that Diedrich is the best guy for that. I thought Ronald Tompkins came in and and ran outside very well, and maybe that's the type of um, back type of skill set that they were more looking for uh, against a team like Ohio State. So. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess my my answer is a little bit, but I'm not again. I'm not worried by the lack of carries that he got. I think a lot of this was determined by the game plan. Right, they're coming. There'll be games where he's a, a bigger part of the game plan, and they want to attack the center of a defense. Might be Saturday. We'll see what they unveil for that. All right, one of the big stories coming out of, of the Ohio State game where the the ejections to the targeting with Cam Tater-Britt and then Deontay Williams, who now will both have to sit out the first half of Saturday's game with the Badgers. The head coach was asked today about whether they could appeal. What have their conversations been with the league about this? Here's the head coach. Um, I don't want to talk about uh, discussions with the officials uh, in the league yet. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from them again. I don't believe there's a process to appeal. Um, 
that penalty. So I think uh, we're kind of stuck with the outcome of it, whether we agree with it or not. Um, we need to get some young guys involved, not just in the secondary, but in a lot of places. Um, and I think as soon as those guys are ready, they have some. We have some guys with some talent to make us a better football team. So um, all those guys got to grow up, and and uh, some we're going to have to do it this week. What'd you make of those calls? Yeah, I thought the one on Cam. I I watched it back four or five times, and I I, I don't want to speak for him, but. I don't know if he, he tried to hit him lower than maybe he thought his body was lower than, than what it was. Maybe it was what we saw. Maybe he did just make a bonehead play. I, I don't know exactly how that how that un, unwound. I think Cam's probably the only one in his mind that knows, you know, what, what really happened. The one on Deontay, I couldn't, I couldn't have disagreed with more. And, and the thing that shocked me about it, was how fast they came to their decision. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that blew me. The JoJo Doman one took like 15 minutes, it fell, to get to the right decision, and that one wasn't targeting. And, and to me, those hits were awfully similar. You had shoulder-to-shoulder contact for a guy who, in one case in Garrett Wilson with JoJo, made the catch, and in one case with Smith and Jigba not making the catch. Deontay Williams was the reason why he didn't catch that football. If he doesn't hit him... Um, he's catching that ball. And I, I agree with Joel Klatt that in that particular case, he did launch. There, there was a clear launch. But the rule isn't described as launching. It's described as forcible contact to the head and neck area or using the crown of your helmet, neither of which he did. So just because there's the launch aspect of it doesn't indict him on the rule because JoJo Doman did the exact same thing with the launch and, and the flag was picked up. So I disagree with it. I feel terrible for Deontay. And, and one other thing I want to point out, I, I got a lot of feedback from Ohio State fans and, and watched a lot of social media with Ohio State fans that saying that Nebraska, in particular, Deontay Williams was headhunting all day. That's how he plays. That's always been how he plays. It wasn't just him headhunting Ohio State receivers. He's all about laying the hits. And and that's just that's his biggest asset as a, as a defender and as a safety is he likes to hit people, and and there's a reason why um, he was kind of uncaged so to speak because last year he was injured. That's what he does, and so no, it was nothing against Ohio State. They weren't marked men. They weren't trying to prove a point. That's just how he plays the game, and and it's the same way to a certain extent for Mark Heldes Muke. So I disagree with it. I think it's terrible that Nebraska is without those two players against Wisconsin, and they're going to have to have young players step up because of it. And I, I Cam Taylor-Britt won. I was fine with. Couldn't have been more against the Deontay Williams hit. Yep, totally agree with you. Now, Miles Farmer's probably going to get a lot of playing time at safety in that first half on Saturday, and Quentin Newsom's going to get an awful lot of time at corner. Now with, with Cam Taylor-Britt out, and now is where you really feel the loss of Braxton Clark mm-hmm. from a few years ago in uh, – in preseason camp. All right, we, we speculated last week. How much would we see Luke McCaffrey in the game, even though he wasn't the starting quarterback? We saw him early, very early in, in the football game. The head coach was asked today why he thought that worked so well on Saturday using both guys. Uh, probably just having two good players that are good people, too, and that are friends. And um think they're both rooting for each other, pulling for each other, and there's a lot of situations where having both of them on the field uh, gives us some of our best players out there. Um, but I, it's probably just because of the character of those two kids. Worked well, I thought. It looked good. Yeah, I, and I would, ag- I would agree. I, I think that this doesn't work all the time. Having two guys kind of share, share, share a spotlight takes two pretty mature players to handle this and we know adrian's mature we're getting to know luke more and more and it seems like they're both capable of of doing something like this mentally because we know how temperamental some some athletes particularly in college can be especially when it comes to playing time um it definitely helps and adrian backed that up with a great comment today you know saying that we just want to win we're a great team and we want to win and and i think that you know if, if having them both out there results in the offense moving the chains and potentially winning games, they're absolutely both okay with their role. 
Buckle up and put the phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. We're reviewing some of Coach Frost's comments today at the press conference. Uh, he was asked about looking back at the Ohio State game and taking parts of that and getting better. And he talked about trying to get some things cleaned up for week two. It, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. And, and that's, you know, if you look at the two Wisconsin games in this past Saturday, um, our mistakes have kept us from having better performances and uh, keeping the games closer or giving ourselves a chance. Even Saturday, um, a couple penalties that I may or may not agree with, but a, a couple penalties that probably were penalties that cost us drives, a fumbled snap, a couple fumbles. Um, we move the ball pretty well, but we, we need to capitalize on those things. And uh, the two Wisconsin games have been the same way. We move the ball well, uh, but they've done a good job getting stout when they needed to, and we've made some mistakes that we couldn't. Uh, when you're playing a good team, you can't make those mistakes. And I think as painful a lesson it was, it was a good lesson for our, our young kids Saturday. Um, you can't just be pretty good. you you got to be uh, really good, and you got to execute really well. And if we clean up some of the mistakes, it's going to give us a better chance. What did you make of the holding calls on Nebraska? I think there were three along the offensive line. Matt couple times would see the replay while I'm getting ready to call the next play, and I could hear Matt kind of go, eh, I don't know about that one. What what'd you make of the holds on Nebraska's offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a huge issue with them. I guess the thing watching it back that I had more of an issue with was I thought there were three or four plays that Ohio State got away with a big hold. And, you know, re-watching it back, I'm like, ooh, that's a hold right there on the left tackle. And, and I think, you know, every time I said that, it was a big play for Ohio State. Um, there was one time where Ben Stilley had would have had Fields wrapped up for a sack and they get like a 40-yard pass or there was a long pass. I can't remember exactly what play it was. And there was another play where uh, Master Teague sprung one up the gut. I'm like, that's a hold on the center. And, and they just didn't call it. And I think, you know, I'm not into conspiracy theories right now. I don't really want to say that, you know, they were looking for holds against Nebraska and not looking for holds against Ohio State. But I definitely think that, you know, had we got called for some and they got called for some or they didn't get called for any and we didn't get called for any that, you know, there were, there were some certain situations that would have looked differently. And, uh, and that's unfortunate, but as, as coach Frost said, it's, it's been a trend and against, you know, really against anybody, but specifically against those better teams. And you and I talked about this probably, I think off air, you know, heading into the, the game with Ohio state, you can get away with some of this stuff. If you're not playing Ohio state, you know, if you're playing a team like Northwestern or even Purdue, one of the lesser teams, you can get away with two or three mistakes. You can't get away with six or seven, but when you're playing a team like Ohio state or Wisconsin, you might only be able to get away with one. Uh, and, 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 and other than that, you're going to dig yourself a hole. It's ideal. You don't, you don't, make any mistakes but it's a 60 minute football game things are going to happen but I do think that those mistakes are definitely amplified when you play teams like we played on Saturday and we'll play this Saturday it's remarkable how few holding calls have occurred over the last several years against Nebraska's opponents and you hate to be a conspiracy theorist but you like you just said there I mean yeah probably the two or three on Nebraska were probably legit but then to not have any on Ohio State uh, it's just you, you kind of sit there and you're kind of seeing, are we seeing the same game? And and there was a – it was a couple years ago, but Nebraska had gone like 18 straight Big Ten games without an opponent getting an offensive holding called on them. You're kind of like, really? How, how does that happen? So <laughs> And the funny thing about that, that, Greg, is we brought that up on the pregame show. We had talked about it. And I think on the first drive against there Illinois, we got one. And yeah. I think we ended up getting two or three – um, on that, and I just rem I remember the applause from Memorial Stadium's crowd. That was one of our Matt stat features that we that we threw out there in the pregame, and I couldn't believe how that stat just spread like wildfire. That we hadn't had a holding penalty called against our defense, and yeah, I think it was like 18 games or something like that. It was it was absolutely crazy. It's hard not to buy into that when the numbers skew that far one way. Time now for the weekly breakdown. What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference. With color analyst and former national champion. All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime. And we've seen the best one here today against the top ten team. 
It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, you've had a, a couple of days now to digest Saturday. What do, you, what do you reflect back on when you think of that opening game? Well, we did, we did some good things for sure, Greg. Um, I guess the first thing I think about is just how strange it was to do that broadcast mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> with an empty stadium and no crowd noise and, and no atmosphere, really. Uh, they weren't pumping music or crowd noise or anything into it so it was really kind of a dead place uh, to play a game but I thought our guys came out with great energy obviously the first drive of the game got everybody excited and we kind of took the fight to them early Um, you know they go down and score and then we get the ball back and have a a nine yard play a second and one on the second drive and, and we get a false start and that was kind of a snapshot of the day when, when on offense at least for Nebraska, when we didn't turn the ball over or have a silly penalty, uh, we were able to drive the ball and, and put some drives together and get some points. And unfortunately, there were too many drives, a couple of fumbles in the second half, a couple of holding calls that were drive killers um, that we just couldn't overcome against a really good team. And, and those are the things you can't do when you're playing one of the best teams in the country. And, and we did those things. The score got out of hand, but I think everybody that was watching that game, at least in the first half, can can say, hey, you know, Nebraska was physically able to go in there and compete with Ohio State. And, and so I was proud of our guys for that. I don't think there's any question that we're tougher and in the trenches and we did a lot of good things on Saturday so uh, obviously you don't like the score ending up the way it did and you never like to lose but I thought the guys went out and competed really hard offensively one of the things I've heard from people afterwards is it didn't seem like Nebraska tried to push the ball down the field much in the passing game is that there is that still a phase that needs to be worked on by this group I don't think there's any question we have to be able to do that and we have to get the right guys on the field to be able to do that and you know I I think we really focused on the short passing game early in the game and really wanted to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick and and not allow pass rush to get home and, and take a negative play with a sack. The offensive line did a good job protecting for the most part, and so we probably did have more time to try to push it down the field. But we have to get the right personnel out there to do that. And and on Saturday, I think there was only one pass that went 20 yards down the field. So obviously when you're able to stretch the field deeper and put some pressure on a defense deep down the field, then it helps the running game as well. So that's just one phase of the offense that has to get better as we move forward. Defensively, there, there were a lot of positives. They did a really nice job limiting the Buckeyes' running game. But this defense still has issues, it, it seems to me, on third and longs and getting off the field a little bit. How big of an emphasis do you think that's going to be in the coming weeks for this staff? Well, it has to be. It was emphasized today, and, and it will be, and it was in the offseason. It was a problem a year ago. And, you know, you can't, you can't be in second and 19 and give up a first down. And you can't be in third and 14s and give up first downs. And it was a problem a year ago, and, and it was a problem on Saturday. Eight out of 13 on third down for Ohio State is, is way too high a percentage, obviously. And, and some of them were longer. And those, those are the times you need to get off the field. We had, I think, four sacks, and they were able to overcome those. When you get a negative play, you have to be able to get off the field as a defense. And, you know, we were playing against a team that had a lot of speed on the outside, NFL wide receivers, and that really backed up our secondary. Going back to talking about our inability to do that, Ohio State was able to do that. They ran past us a couple of times. That softens the defense up, and it made their underneath throws a lot easier with crossing routes and and quick outs and, and those sorts of things. So... Uh, we have to adjust somehow. Um, some, you know, we, we had four sacks, as I said, and there were about three others where we had really good pressure. So that wasn't bad, but I think the coverage needs to get better, and, and somehow we have to find a way to force teams to punt when we get them in second and thirds and longs. You mentioned the secondary. There's going to be some playing time opportunity this week because of the ejections for Cam Tater, Brennan, Deontay Williams. A real opportunity for some of these young players in the program, isn't it, coming up on Saturday? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we already had the season-ending injury for Braxton Clark, and so that had hurt the, the secondary already. And and then you throw in a couple of suspensions, and, and so you're getting down the depth chart a little bit. But we think we have some talented guys. Um, haven't played a ton of football, uh, one of them none at all, but um, 
you know, it's it, you're right. It's a great opportunity. It's going to be a physical football game. We, we're playing against a team that threw it really well last week. And and so I think both teams are going to be figuring each other out a little bit early on. Uh, Wisconsin didn't probably run it as well as they wanted to last week, but through the air, they, they were really effective. So, uh, yeah, big opportunity for some young guys in our program. It's unfortunate. I, I hate it that we have to have a couple guys sit out for the first half. Um, it's just the way it is. It's it's might not agree with it, but we have to put other guys in there and get them ready this week. Matt, how different is the preparation for the Badgers compared to the Buckeyes? Two to, totally to, two totally different styles of play, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite a bit different. I mean, Wisconsin is just so sound all the time, and it's not that that Ohio State isn't, but. Um, you know, we had a pretty good game plan last year against Wisconsin, really moved the ball well, just didn't score enough points. And, you know, you look at Ohio State as a whole, and they just have NFL players running all over the place. Offensively, they're super explosive, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And, um, you know, you're facing two really good teams. They're different in some ways, for sure. The speed on offense is different, where Ohio State has track guys that are going to be first-round draft choices at wide receiver. Um, Wisconsin does it with big bruisers that that know what they're doing that have they're grown men that have been in the program a long time and and don't beat themselves so uh, different programs but you know the two most successful programs for the most part in the Big Ten the last few years so tough start to the season for us but a big opportunity for us here at home to to try to knock them off and and if we're ever gonna win the Big Ten you, you got to win your half first and that means beating Wisconsin Matt Davison's with us. It's our Mondays with Matt segment here on Sports Nightly. How did you feel like the two quarterbacks worked themselves into that? How did you feel like that fit on Saturday? thought it was really good. You know, we have two great kids there, two of the best athletes on the team, uh, two high-character kids that understand they'll do anything to win. And, and so I thought it was pretty smooth. Luke is, is just too talented to keep on the sideline. And so he came in and did some great things at the running back position, did some great things at quarterback. Um, both of them turned the ball over and they know they can't do that uh, on Saturday. So, um, but you know, you have two guys that can play the position and it's great to have depth there. And we'll get them both on the field, I'm sure this week again, and, and continue to try to find ways to use both of their talents. Scott Frost got asked this earlier today at his press conference about a lot of the young men from the 2019 class starting to find their way onto the field. That was a pretty highly rated class. And, uh, boy, I liked – I don't know what you thought, but I liked what I saw from a lot of those redshirt freshmen or in a couple of cases true sophomores. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it proves that it was a good year on the recruiting trail. You're going to miss on some kids for whatever reason at times. That class right now seems to, to really be one that we we hit the nail on the head with a lot of guys, at least early in their careers. Some of them are starting and playing a lot. Some of them are going to play more as the season goes along. And um, that's obviously it bodes well for the future of the program and trying to build on this thing. Uh, this is a crazy year with eligibility and not counting and nine games in nine weeks and all those things. So we've had a lot of practice leading up to these games. Now we, we're going to knock out a bunch of games, hopefully, in the next two months. And these guys will gain experience. And then we'll hopefully get back to some normalcy in 2021 where we can have spring ball and and uh, get better then and, and have these guys grow up for another year where they're going to be even better in, in uh, next fall. So, you know, it's always nice to have young guys that are able to come in and contribute, and some of them are really good already. Yeah. All right, very good. Can't wait to get back in our home booth. It'll be odd not having fans there, but looking forward to being back in, in that room with you on Saturday. Well, it's never too bad to go into Memorial Stadium on a Saturday, is it? I wish our fans could be there with us too, Greg, but we're going to go out and play our tails off, try to get, big, get a big win against the Badgers on Saturday. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com joins us every Monday night. And, Adam, great to have you with us. And as I look at what happened over the weekend in college football, it really a lot of the bigger stories centered around the Big Ten, didn't they? Oh, I think it was great. You know, obviously we're biased, you know, where we live <laughs> and the teams that we pay attention to. But the, the, the sport needs the Big Ten. There's just so much tradition, so many people that are interested in, in this in this league 
And, you know, there's obviously great teams. And I think you got to see that a little bit over the weekend uh, with Ohio State. And, you know, Michigan looked really good. And, you know, some other teams are certainly improved, um, you know, in this weird, you know, shortened season. But, yeah, it just you know, just having so much more to watch on Saturday, I think this will be, uh, you know, even more enhanced when the Pac-12 comes back in a few weeks. And it's just, it's just trying to keep track of it all. Like, that's one of the fun things about Saturdays. And I think we had a little bit of that for the first time this past weekend. Indiana beating Penn State would be listed as an upset, but was it that big of an upset in your eyes? It, it was not. And even talking to people at Penn State last week, they knew how good Indiana uh, was, and they knew they had to play well to win. And the weird thing, you know, watching that game is, you know, and, and, and Indiana talked about this afterward. You know, Indiana's offense wasn't very good, and they made some mistakes, and they couldn't really generate a whole lot. Um, you know, I think that maybe the transition between you know, Kalen DeBoer, their outstanding offensive coordinator last year, and Nick Sheridan, who's a younger guy, or, or getting Michael Penix back from injury. You know, may, may, obviously, Penn State's good defensively. That contributed, too. But it was really the Indiana defense. And uh, you know, Penn State struggled offensively for much of the game, especially quarterback Sean Clifford. And you know, Indiana had an opportunity uh, there at the end. Obviously, Penn State could have run out the clock by not scoring a touchdown, but they scored. And uh, Indiana was able to tie it up at the end and then obviously incredible <laughs> finish there in overtime. But, you know, anyone who's been following Indiana with the eight wins last year easily could have won the Gator Bowl. You know, they have recruited at a very high level. They've developed that defense, which was an anchor, dragging that program down for you know, 30, 35 years. Tom Allen's done a great job there. So uh, they, no one should be that surprised that this happened, um, even though it certainly was a, a historic win and, and a, the type of win that Indiana hadn't been able to finish off in recent years and greg shiano comes back to college football wins on the road rutgers winning a college football big 10 games that's headlines isn't it adam yeah rutgers doing and scoring a lot of points and obviously <laughs> you're creating takeaways that was the big story of the game what was it seven uh turnovers for michigan state they have a long way to go under their new head coach, Mel Tucker. But, yeah, certainly encouraging for Rutgers. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be better. You know, they couldn't be much worse. But, you know, with Greg Schiano, he knows how to win at that place. And, you know, they're, they're going to play hard. And I think they're going to play better defensively uh, immediately. And then offensively, they were able to do some things. So, you know, it's a really interesting program. It's, it's a program a lot of people like to kick because it hasn't been great mm -hmm. historically. But, you know, there's always been great potential in the state of New Jersey. And so you, you wonder if Greg Schiano and his staff can harness that potential. I really liked his hiring of Sean Gleason from Oklahoma State as their offensive coordinator. That seems to be a much improved unit. And now they get, I believe, Indiana this week. Uh, you know, two teams that you know maybe surprise people a little bit, and, and the winner of that game is going to have some, some momentum in the East Division. Yeah, no doubt. Let's jump outside the Big Ten. Uh, Oklahoma State gets them a nice win in the Big 12 Conference. They're still undefeated in the league, and maybe the only hope for that conference to make the playoff, aren't they? At this point, right. I mean, you know, I, I really like what I've seen out of Kansas State, but they have that opening loss, um, you know, even though they're still undefeated in, in Big 12 play. But I think what's really interesting about Oklahoma State, you know, the Big 12 uh, has, has had to fight that reputation of being a, a limited, you know, basically all offense league. Oklahoma State's a team that's driven by defense. You look at the way they've won games 16 to 7 against Tulsa, 16, not 60, uh, 27 to 13 over West Virginia. They obviously uh, blew out Kansas, but then only 24 to 21 over Iowa State, which I thought, I thought was two evenly matched teams. And so, you know, Jim Knowles and that defense deserve a lot of credit. It was a group that had a lot of players coming back. And, and you talk to coaches in the Big 12, you know, that, that was a unit that, that impressed people last year at times. But they're a lot more cohesive even this year. And it's helped them overcome, you know, some issues on offense with injuries. They haven't been as dynamic on that side of the ball. So I'm excited to see how they do this week against Texas because the Texas seemed to find something last week, Greg, against Baylor, you're finally put, putting together a complete performance in victory, and there's still a lot of pressure around that program to continue to win. You know, they 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 come into Stillwater. Oklahoma State's been a team that's given Texas some trouble, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Oklahoma State can, can kind of keep this going against a Texas team that has some confidence now. Absolutely. I asked you last week about the Cincinnati SMU matchup. I thought we would see a really good game. What we saw was a dominant Bearcat performance. Are they are they clearly the best of the group of five teams in your eyes? 
Well, it just depends on how you classify BYU. If BYU is a group of five team, then it's probably a good debate you and I could have over who's the better team. But I I think those are the the, 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 definitely the two best outside of Power Five conferences uh, this year. And Cincinnati was really impressive. I I agree with you. I thought that was going to go down to the wire. SMU made some uncharacteristic mistakes, but against a Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman-led defense, you're going to do that. Uh, They've done that for years at Cincinnati, uh, which is play really, really high-level defense. And um, and then they they were able to score points as well. That was a question I had coming in. Um, It was just Desmond Ritter and the offense, and they they got their top receiver, Pierce, back from injury, and and they looked really good. Sometimes when you have that extended break, because they had a week off and then they had the game, against Tulsa uh, postponed because of COVID, you know, sometimes you're, you're rusty and that wasn't the case for Cincinnati. So yeah, definitely encouraging for them. And uh, we'll see what they do here going forward. But I think there's a real opportunity for them to, uh, to get to the new year six this year. He has just done an amazing job there at Cincinnati. Okay. Let's turn the page to this week. Probably by far the the biggest matchup still in the Big Ten, Ohio State at Penn State. Some luster gets knocked off because the Lions lose to the Hoosiers. Do you give them a chance against the Buckeyes? Because Ohio State looked really good, I thought, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, again, they're going to be very motivated. Now, they're going to, Penn State will, uh, they don't want to go 0 2 for sure, but we all agree they're going to have to play much, much better on offense. I mean, their defense, again, they did their job for the most part against Indiana. Uh, but the offense just wasn't there. You know, there wasn't a lot of rhythm. Yeah, I think that we talked last week about Kirk Chiraka, the new offensive coordinator coming over from Minnesota and the number of coaches that really like him. But it, it did look disjointed. And you know, whether that was him, whether it was Clifford, um, they're going to have to, you know, as you know, score a lot of points to beat Ohio State. You know, no one's going to hold Ohio State down uh, to you know 20 points. So you're going to have to create some offense if you're Penn State and then create some mistakes from Justin Fields. And, you know, you, you saw watching the, the, the Nebraska game, it wasn't like Ohio State was dominant in terms of the line of scrimmage. So that's an area to watch. Can Penn State, you know, be, uh, you know, can, can they match Ohio State and maybe overpower them at times at the line, you know, stifle that run game and, and force Ohio State to become one-dimensional? Then obviously you have to cover those receivers and, and try to pressure Justin Fields. So it's a really tall task for the defense. But, um, you know, I would expect to see a little better offense from Penn State this week than we saw last week. Anything else in the country that you're looking at? You mentioned Texas, Oklahoma State. Anything else around the country that has your eye? Yeah, you know, just looking at the schedule, you know, there's nothing in the SEC that that jumps out too much. Um, you know, Alabama's got Mississippi State, and that should be a, a pretty easy win on, uh, on Nick Saban's birthday. He's born on Halloween, which I, I always get a, a little bit of a chuckle <laughs> out of. Um, you know, we got Georgia. You know, LSU and Auburn is interesting to me, uh, yeah. you know, just because both teams haven't. Uh, you know, perform like we thought they would. Auburn, very fortunate, Greg, to be three and two. You know, they they got a call that went their way against um, against uh, Ole Miss last week. They were very fortunate to beat um, uh, Arkansas a little bit earlier in the season. So I'm I'm interested to see how uh, how how they perform um, this week against uh, against LSU, which looked a lot better uh, last week against South Carolina. So you know that 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 that's certainly one. You know, in the ACC, everybody's excited for two weeks down the line, which is you know, Notre Dame and, and Clemson, and uh, both teams have, you know, winnable games this week, although I'm excited to see Boston College. Jeff Halfley has done just an outstanding job as a first-year coach for BC and in, in improving that team. You know, they're going down to Clemson, and I know Dabo was upset last week because uh, they, they win that game, you know, eventually handily, but we kind of felt like uh, people were nitpicking him after the game with, with Syracuse. So interested to see how both Notre Dame and Clemson play this week in advance of that huge one two weeks from now in South Bend. Adam, I'll be honest with you, with all the excitement of the Big Ten getting underway last week, and I forgot that the Mountain West also kicked it yeah. off completely blew off all those games did how did Boise look did, did anybody look any good out in the Mountain West yeah you know I, I thought I thought all in all that just the overall slate going off you know you only had the one game unfortunately with New Mexico and Colorado State that was postponed because of you know just the state regulations in New Mexico that's a storyline to watch but there are a lot of good games uh, you know Nevada uh, overtime win over Wyoming that was an exciting one San Jose State really impressed they beat an Air Force team that crushed Navy. The Air Force had already played a game. They were the only yeah. Mountain West team to have played. And San Jose State, which, which you remember, they had to go all the way from their campus up to Humboldt State University 
And as a California native, I can tell you that's a long way to go to just practice because of the, the county regulations. So they come back and they, they, they shut out Air Force for three quarters and win that game 17-6. to six. So impressed with what Brett Brennan is doing there with, uh, with, with the Spartans. And you mentioned Boise, a dominant opening game, 42-13 to 13 over Utah State. You know, they get BYU coming up, and that's a big yeah. one because BYU has been so good. And, you know, they, they obviously have aspirations to try to get a big-time bowl uh, invitation this year, but they're going to have to get through Boise, and same thing with Boise. So that's going to be a fun one here on a Friday night in a couple of weeks. Well, we'll look forward to that. Adam, great stuff as always. Enjoy the week, and we'll talk next Monday. You too. Thanks, Greg. The head coach had a press conference earlier today, talked about a wide variety of topics, and one of those was how did he feel like the front seven on defense held up against the Buckeye offense? I was pretty pleased with it Saturday. We were still missing a couple pieces. Um, we got to get healthy here. But um, thought we held up in the run game pretty well. Thought we tackled better than we did last year. Um, thought we held the held our, our position to the point of attack better up front uh, against a really good team. You know, I, I think everybody knows what kind of team Ohio State had last year and this year, and I, I think we did a better job of that. Um, you know, most of their, not most of, but quite a few of their yards came on scrambles, which um, we got to do a better job seeing that and rallying to it. But they're, they're really good at running uh, outside zone, mid zone at Ohio State. Thought we held our, our gaps pretty well and and uh, played those plays really well. Really well. Uh, Wisconsin's run game is completely different. There's going to be a lot of two backs, multiple tight ends. Um, the fits are tougher, so we got to make sure we're in the right gaps for, for those kind of plays and, and not bite too hard on the play actions that they run off them. So it, it's a different challenge, and um, hopefully we can get ourselves ready for it. And on the other side of the ball, how about the offensive line and their performance Saturday? Uh, for the most part, I thought we played really well. I thought we ran it pretty well against a good team. Um, a little inconsistencies there, too. A couple of pass protections where we just flat out whiffed, one where um, – Kids misread the signal, and we left a tight end alone on one of their defensive ends in protection because uh, kids saw the wrong play come from the sideline. Um, but overall, uh, I was pleased, and I think it's something we can build on. Um, I thought uh, Hymas on at left tackle played really well, um, and it was probably the anchor as the veteran there. Uh, but guys across the board, I thought, did their job pretty well, and it's definitely something we can uh, build on and keep getting better from. Ben, I think the play on both sides of the line of scrimmage, for me, maybe the most positive thing I walked away with. Yeah, and I think we expected the O-line to play pretty well. That's the matchup on paper. You didn't feel like Nebraska was particularly outmatched, but I was pleasantly surprised at how well the D-line held up against that vaunted Ohio State offensive line that – you know, I was talking with a, a member from Ohio State's crew this week. Thought, thought got, that could potentially be the best offensive line Ohio State has ever had with five five stars. That's coming from him, not me. So that, that it was impressive the job they did holding up against those guys. Time for us to name our weekend winners. Ben, who you got? Yeah, my weekend winner uh, is one of our very own. Mr. Austin Orman got married over the weekend. Woo! So he will be... Uh, without his services for a few days as he celebrates with his new blushing bride. So big congratulations to Austin, um, his new wife, and their entire family on the on celebrating. So big congratulations to you guys, and hopefully Austin enjoying his time off, well-deserved time off for him. Fantastic. That's great. Top that one, Tim. Yeah, yeah good luck, Tim. Well, Austin, clearly a loser on the week because he didn't set his fantasy lineup. Uh, he obviously had some, some other priorities on his mind. I mean, who who uh, who would have guessed? But uh, my winners of the week, uh, I've got Kyler Murray and, and Joe Burrow, two young quarterbacks who, um, you know, had – have had their ups and downs uh joe obviously just getting his career underway but kyler murray really cementing himself uh last night and him and the cardinals as a legitimate force in this league and also joe burrow uh even though his Bengals lost and yeah it's going to be a pretty long season i think for cincinnati uh joey b himself on pace to uh, actually break andrew luck's rookie passing record uh for passing yards in a single season so we'll see if that that keeps up here but uh yeah two young guys that are going to be in the league for a long time and uh, looks like they're going to be legitimate forces for a long time to come in true austin fashion you name two so there you it's go true. yeah mick you got something for us 
I was going to say that Austin was the winner of the weekend. So I <laughs> will be a I, double winner. I will actually go with Big Ten football fans. Yeah, because there you go. Nice. those first couple weeks where the ACC and SEC were playing, you really felt left out. And so we, it, we felt at home this weekend. It was really fun. Nice. Good one. It's funny because I mentioned to Adam Rittenberg when we had him on in hour two, I said, I totally forgot that the Mountain West started too because I was so locked into the Big Ten beginning. And, and then I didn't even know it till Sunday. I'm looking at the scores. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Mountain West had games going on too. And I didn't even, didn't even track that one at all. But, yeah, good call. Great to have Big Ten football back. My weekend winner is Ronald Tompkins, the Husker redshirt nice. freshman running back. For all, Ben, that he's been through the last couple of years, it's just celebrate a young guy, putting in all the effort he had to to get himself back to play. And I thought he looked pretty good when he was out there for those few plays. Yeah, I did too. Good speed to the outside, physical, lower his shoulder a few times. I got to admit, every drive that Nebraska had, I was constantly looking, looking to see if 25 was in the in the lineup. So good for him. Like you said, that's fantastic. And uh, I hope that's just the beginning for him. We see a lot more of him and hopefully see him in an end zone here before too long. Yeah, no doubt. Well, tonight we spent quite a bit of time kind of recapping the Buckeye game. We'll, we'll turn our full attention to the Badgers starting tomorrow. And, Ben, we really haven't even hardly touched on it tonight that there does appear to be some COVID issues with the Badger football program. It was reported by media outlets in Madison last night that Graham Mertz, their outstanding quarterback, uh, has tested positive. Wisconsin won't confirm or deny that. Reports today that even the backup to him didn't practice today. Uh, I, I don't know how much we're going to learn going forward, but I think you have the right attitude. you got to assume you're playing until they, they call and tell you they're not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I'm going to approach it. Um, you know, we've, we've seen gamesmanship before, not to say that this is, but the worst attitude to have is just assume that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this guy's not going to play, and then all of a sudden you find out Friday, whoops, uh, they're full strength, and now you got to quickly adjust your mindset. So, yeah, operate this week as if everybody's healthy, and then once Wisconsin, if they choose to tell us what the situation is, you're ready for it. And, and, yeah. I, and you know, I think that's the best way to, to look at it, and I can't imagine the Husker coaches are treating it any other way. We'll keep tracking it as we get closer to the Saturday game time. And by the way, the Northwestern game on the 7th now been set for 11 a.m. So another early one for the Oscars on that day. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and all of you. Have a great night.